Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Good evening, everyone. Rich Catino along with Mike Silva. New York Sports Wrap is on the air. We have a star-studded show here tonight, and we'll open up with the Mets in a second. Um, we're going to have Ryan Crofts, who worked for the Bridgeport Bluefish. Very good friends with him. Got to know him real well when I had my event up in Bridgeport. He is one of the finest baseball young minds in the business, and we're going to talk to him about the Mets and the Yankees. We're also going to talk about the Mets signing their top draft pick. He's going to give us a nice scouting report on him. Then at 9 o'clock, it's going to be Brian Heyman from Newsday. He was at the Yankee Old Timers Day today. We'll talk Mets and Yankees with him. And then 9.30, Tommy D will be talking to us about the Knicks and these uh, unbelievable rumors we've been hearing about the possibility of Christoph Porzingis being dealt to the Spurs. I'm totally against it. I don't know how Tommy feels about it. But he's going to talk to me about it. Mike Silva joining me. Mike, welcome and happy Father's Day. Hey, happy, happy Father's Day to you, Rich. Uh, exciting Mets win. Uh, Yankee Old Timers Day. Uh, nice Sunday barbecue. Uh, family holiday. This is the heart of the baseball season. You can't get much more summer. I know Memorial Day was the first unofficial day of summer, but with the weather and how it was and the gloominess, now you got you know baseball at Yankee Stadium a big Mets win nice uh, nice cap to the uh the weekend or holiday weekend pseudo holiday weekend let's put it that way talk about taking the gloominess out of Met fans minds that was an incredible game today in Arizona now let's step back a second it still has not been a good road trip for the Mets they are 2 and 4 on this trip but they did split what i thought was a red hot diamondback team and they did it in comfort behind fashion and just kind of setting up the ninth inning tonight. 
Much like Game 6 of the 1986 World Series, the Mets were not only down to their last out, they were down to their last strike on a couple of occasions. And what they did was a bunt by Jose Reyes, which Alex Avila should really have let gone foul, but he didn't. Mets caught a break. And then Brandon Nimmo, who is as positive a person as I've ever been around, he makes me look negative. That's how positive he is. It's a two-run homer to give the Mets the lead as Dribble Cabrera follows up with a home run. But then at the bottom of the ninth inning, because nothing can come easy for the Mets, Mike, um, Dominic Smith kind of hot dogs it a little bit at first. Avila gets on. It doesn't phase Robert Gazelman. He gets through the inning. He's developing into one of the finer late-inning relievers in the league right now. And the Mets get a win. They're now 8-under-500. They go to Colorado, a team that had a terrible loss today. They lost a game 13-12 to by giving up four runs in, a, in the other team's last at bat. So that's not good for Colorado. Hopefully the Mets can take advantage with Jacob DeGrom on the mound tomorrow. I have a feeling we might circle this game two weeks from now, and it would be the aha moment. It's just a sense that I have, Mike. I mean, we thought about that against the Phillies, what was it, a couple of months ago when Conforto hit the two-out home run. Maybe this one. Look, after going 10-under on Friday night, uh, I, I was prepared. I still am prepared to say, and I know there's seven games back of the second wild card, and there's a lot of teams in front of them. That's what makes it difficult. Still very early, but there's a muck in the National League. It's amazing. Teams like the Pirates, who really aren't built to compete. And I think that's a big theme about how everybody seems to think that if you're not a top-five team in baseball, that you should be rebuilding. Or, or or not competing. And this whole National League wild card that I'm looking at here just defies that whole thing because baseball's not like that. Baseball's not the NBA. With that said, I think the best course of action, and I've said this for a while, with the way this rotation, how good it's been over the last 25 games, the Mets just have to stay the course with this roster. I know it annoys the fans. I know everybody wants something to happen. They either want Sandy Alderson fired, Mickey Calloway fired, the baseball to take the the franchise away from the Wilpons. Release Jose Reyes. Like everybody wants their pound of flesh because they're frustrated, they're angry. And Rich, I don't blame the fans for being frustrated and angry. This has been a frustrating since since the San Diego series when I was in here. And I think the Mets were seventeen and nine at that point. This has been a frustrating team. And at that point, you and I sat here and said, "Okay, this is a team that looks like it's going to be about an eighty-eight to ninety-one team." And I still think the roster. I know Cespedes hasn't been part of it. To me, that's still what I feel. I mean, the pitching to me is still very, very good. And I would stay the course, and here's the best part about it. You stay the course, and if things don't turn around where you're still meandering with five, six teams in front of you, maybe you trade Hestrubel Cabrera, Jerry's Familia, maybe you could get something for them. And I really do not believe that if this season turns into another 90-loss season, with the way the starting rotation is, I don't think you rip this thing apart. I think there's got to be a way to find out how you could score more runs. Because that's been the problem is scoring runs. Even the bullpen that's been bad over the last 25 games, there's a lot of good com- pieces in this bullpen, especially when Seth Lugo's a part of it. Now, that's a whole other debate, but Familia's back. you got Swarzak. To me, there's too much here just to rip it apart. I'm sorry. It doesn't make any sense. I totally agree. And I think, you know, the media's played a big role in this because they go out every day and say, well, something has to be done. Something has to be done. This is a marathon, not a sprint. It's been an awful 40-some-odd, 50-some-odd games for the Mets. Awful. And that's a long time. I mean, only Cincinnati and the the Marlins have worse records than the Mets, and those are not teams that you'd expect them to be hanging out with 
at this point in the season. Right, and but you look at a team like the Washington Nationals, who are now six games over five hundred. They got swept in Toronto sure. this weekend, and they were high-scoring games. Uh, the Nationals have some problems too. It haven't manifested itself because they're six games over five hundred, but. You know, Daniel Murphy's back now. He's got to become a core bat in that lineup. I give him time for that. I give him a few weeks to kind of get his feet on the ground. But there's no perfect teams here. Atlanta's in first place by two and a half games over the Nationals. But I don't think their bullpen is anything to write home about. I think they're going to have an athletic team that's had gotten good starting pitching. Give them credit for it. But this is why it's a marathon, not a sprint. You're certainly starting to see that the Phillies are kind of, kind of feeling it a little bit. They won today, but the Phillies still, you know, it comes down for the Phillies on how the top two guys in their rotation do. And my point on the Mets is this: Yes, they're eight games under 500. That's not where the fans want them to be. But with this starting pitching, I don't think you need a lot of hitting. We saw it today. Really, one big inning the Mets had today, and it was in the ninth inning, and they won the game. Not so much because the bullpen held him in, because even though Robles held it in, Familia didn't. But you got to point at what Zach Wheeler gave you. Now, if Zach Wheeler's your fourth or fifth starter, I'll take six innings, two runs from him every day of the week. And when Syndergaard comes back, they do have to make a decision. Now, for me, I kind of waggle back and forth on this. Um, Seth Lugo, it's tough because I think he does make the bullpen better. And Vargas doesn't make the bullpen better, but Vargas as your fifth starter is not exactly where you want to be with the fifth starter in the rotation. But I do think the fifth starter is less important than the bullpen. So once Syndergaard is back and healthy, I really believe Mickey's going to put Seth Lugo back in the bullpen. Yeah. I mean, again, it goes. We haven't really seen him go through. You saw him pitch a great game last Sunday against the Yankees. You were in the ballpark. This time around in Arizona, not so good. But um, that's a tough place to pitch, too. And he was bound to start giving up some runs. I mean, it's almost like the law of averages on this whole thing. So I agree, I mean, with, with, with Lugo in the bullpen. But to develop him as a starter, to have that kind of upside. And if you remember, a couple of years ago, uh, I think it was the Cubs were very interested in Lugo. When he first came up, the spin rate. And he and Gazelman, and, and there was Harvey was still in the rotation. Everyone's like, well, the Mets have too many starters. You never have too many starters. And, and, and when a Theo Epstein and those kind of teams take notice in the spin rate in Lugo, it tells you you have something there. And I certainly think that's a, this is a guy that knows how to pitch, and he's not, not afraid. And I think that's been something that, at times, I'm not sure, and you mentioned it on Twitter, this team, I almost feel like there's a cloud over their head. I'm not sure that they really go into these games believing that they can win. And the starting pitching certainly has bucked that. Uh, the offense has not. In big spots, maybe they tighten up a little bit. Sometimes you wonder if some of these guys come out of the bullpen and they're waiting for the roof to cave in on them. And nobody, nobody's really giving credit to Callaway and Island. Maybe Dave Island deserves more because he's the pitching coach on how well he's developed Stephen Matz, how well he's developed Zach Wheeler. These guys were a mess a year ago. Mm-hmm. A mess. Now, I know that both were coming off of, of surgeries, but these guys were a mess. And Island has, and it took him some time, started to steer this right. Gazelman embracing a new role and being successful in it. Uh, they deserve credit. I know everybody right now doesn't like Callaway. They want to see Callaway far. They think he's goofy. I saw our friend Mike Vaccaro of the Post compared him to Bob McAdoo. I'm not sure that's really fair. 
And I know they go, well, what is he saying? You know, he's Mike Francesa was tweeting out he's an odd guy. Well, he talks like what Mickey hasn't learned, I think, is he talks in baseball language like if he was talking to you in another setting. And he's forgetting that he's not the pitching coach of the Indians anymore. He's the manager of the Mets and he's on SNY. When you use terms like dirt balls and, and, and you say things like, hey, we're only two or three ground balls away from hit, make, you know, scoring five runs, that's correct. But he's taking a very down-to-the-granular level, and that's not what the people want to hear. They look at that as excuses and rationalizations, and he's clueless, but he's not. I mean, he's not a stupid guy. And, uh, you know, you had some more things come out today from John Harper about uh, Cespedes and why uh, the Mets almost lost some criticisms of Terry Collins. I mean, it was time for Terry to go. I mean, it was very clear after the World Series that Terry, uh, whatever he did do well, he stopped. So... Um, you know, I, I just think that you got to. The point is, you got to stay the course here. You got to stay the course with Callaway. If you flip Callaway and Aaron Boone, nothing would change between these two teams through the first part of the year. You've got to stay the course. There's too much starting pitching, in my opinion. You cannot tell me uh, every team that's behind the Mets in starting pitching for the most part, with a few exceptions, wouldn't take the Mets rotation right now if it was offered to them for nothing. You're going to tell me the Yankees? The Yankees would say, no, 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 keep, we'll keep ours. Maybe Severino. You give Yankee rotation Mets, I think they would think long and hard, yeah. even with that trade of Severino, the whole five for five. I think the Yankees would take the Mets. And I know that people probably laugh about that, but it's true. I don't think you're wrong. The phone number, if you want to talk about this, is 631-955-5400. That's 631-955-5400. And we're going to get to um, our first guest in a sec here, but I want to talk a little bit about Cespedes. And, and I've said it on the show a number of times, and I'm hoping I'm not sounding redundant, but despite what the media may think, Ioannis Cespedes is a winner. And I'll tell you why he's a winner. It has something to do with baseball, but it has to do with other things too. And none of us can really understand what the, what the early part of Ioana Cespedes' life was like. Where he had to worry if he went to the store and picked the wrong bottle of a soft beverage, whether the Castro people would take him away as a young man. And then as a baseball player, he wasn't able to be free until he came to the United States. And that's why he has an affinity for the Oakland A's organization. And when you, when you talk about it to people and what he said last year, that he'd love to finish his career with the A's, if I was Ioannis Cespedes, I'd say the same exact thing. It was where I got my freedom. It's why he plays golf on game days. It's why he rides a horse in a spring training. It's why he drives cars. His teammates understand it. And believe me, I've talked to David Wright directly about Cespedes. And he says, I love him. I want to hug him. Jay Bruce says the same thing. Michael Conforto says the same thing. All the pitchers say the same thing. But for some reason in the media, we have this, and I'm glad I'm saying it on this station, we have this feeling about Hispanic players that is totally off base. And I'll go even further than this. If Mike Trout had had the Triple Crown and not Miguel Cabrera, we'd still be hearing about it. Albert Pujols just went to a 500 home run, 3,000 hit plateau, which is not going to be done again, okay? Not going to be done again in our lifetime. Yet it was taken and it was pushed aside. And I, I really try to think that these are coincidences, but they're not. And now let's get back to Cespedes. 
So, yeah, he doesn't talk to me a lot either. It's not like he talks to me and doesn't talk to other people. No. But I don't take that personally. Believe me, Mike, i got enough people who talk to me in my life. So maybe too many. But the point I'm trying to say is I never let that cloud my objectivity about what he is as a player. The Mets have a pennant flying over City Fields. Without Ioannis Cespedes, that pennant doesn't exist. And I think the media forgets that every day. I hear the snide remarks. I hear some snide remarks that I'd love to repeat, but I, I, I wouldn't repeat on the station that I'm on now. And it drives me crazy. It drives me up the wall how Hispanic players have to get treated that way when Hispanic players make this sport better and more fun to watch. Mike, your thoughts? Uh, there's a lot in that. And I wonder if Cespedes was on the Yankees. I think it's also that. And Joel Sherman wrote about this, about how Mets and Mets fans and the organization have this. They're easily distracted about being compared to the Yankees. I guess the real question with Cespedes is this. Um, you know, Matt Cerrone actually brought up something really interesting over at Mets blog. He's got these constant leg problems. There's a feeling that even with Sandy Alderson, if you read between the lines, that he should be playing, that it's chronic and he's got to learn to play with pain. He certainly looked gimpy before he went on the disabled list. Matt brought up how this was the same kind of thing that happened to A-Rod before A-Rod had to have surgery Mm -hmm. on his hips. Certainly big guys like that. Chase Etley had that surgery. It's possible that maybe he needs that, not hip resurfacing, but there's the impingement, which is still a serious injury, but... You can come back and play. You know, look, without your, your torso, without your hips, you can't hit. You can't play. You know, you don't hit with power and, and what have you. And there was times this year he looked lost. And maybe it was pain. I guess that's the real question. Is the questions about Cespedes because he's Hispanic and he, uh, you know, there's that feeling? Or is it because he's mercurial, because he wears his hat backwards, because he's different, because he's flamboyant? Which doesn't bother the media in the NBA or the NFL. <sighs> bothers them in baseball. If, if Cespedes was a, a wide receiver for the Giants, nobody would be bothered by it. I don't know. Is it a Met-Yankee thing? I don't know. I think he just, right now, the Mets are an easy target because they're not winning. They're filling that need for the media to have somebody to beat up on. It's, you can't have two good teams because then you're, all you're doing is waxing poetic. You need right. to have that. You have that one team that you have to have the, the drama. And then you have the Yankees, and they want the Mets to have the drama. They're trying to stir it up a little bit. And every week they're trying to stir it up. And I don't know if the Mets are really biting on it. Um, but the real question is, is what, where is Cespedes? What's going on? I mean, he played in Binghamton and he came out. When is he coming back? Is he really hurt to the point where he can't play? Is he being overly cautious? Does he need surgery? And they're not saying. We don't know. I think that's the bigger question. Well, yeah, it is. It is. And we'll we'll get back to more of this in a moment. But. Funny, I heard all the same things about Ricky Henderson when he was a Yankee. And he only became the greatest leadoff hitter in the history of the game and one that will never be equaled. We're going to be back with Ryan Crofts to talk about the Met draft, Mets and Yankees, right after this. This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. The average time of 
The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who had to be independent and take initiative. And that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Welcome back to New York Sports Wrap. Rich Coutinho along with Mike Silver. And I guess I calmed down a little after that break. One I calmed break. you down. I brought up the whole cesspitous injury with you, Rich. You, you know? did. You did. And and um, I we'll get to more Again, of that. If cesspitous was a wide receiver for the Giants, everybody wouldn't care about the canary yellow uh, sleeves. I, I just think that sometimes when I come into the press box at City Field, um, I should ask more pointed questions of my colleagues to see what they're really all about. I'll get, I'm going to get to more of that later and Keith Law a little later, too, oh, and yeah, his battle with me on Twitter. Uh, but right now, Ryan Crofts is going to join us. Ryan, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on, my friend. Gentlemen, thanks so much. And uh, let me start off by wishing everybody out there just a very, very happy Father's Day. Uh, to all the fathers out there, everybody, thank you for your contribution in raising all of us. Absolutely. And, you know, um, Ryan, while I have you on the line, I want to first talk to you about the top draft pick the Mets uh, secured in the draft and the fact that they've signed him to a contract. What can you tell me about him? Because I know you know uh, the front and back of all these players. So starting off, I was a little taken aback when I saw that they drafted yet another high school bat. However, when I got down and did some film on this kid, I really like the swing and I really like the tools. I think when all is said and done, this kid could be in the big leagues within four years. So where I see him right now, he's gotten a few comparisons to Brandon Nimmo, mostly because they're from the both same Midwest area. Um, but that aside, the sweet swing from the left side of the plate is probably the best comparison that we're going to see between the two going forward. So I see him presently on the arm in the outfield. I watched a little bit of film on him. I see him at a 4-5 present with the future to get that arm up to a 6. Um, for those that listening may not know, MLB's scouting scale is actually done from 2 to 8 when you're putting a number on a tool for a player. So a 5 is a big league average. So if they say a six, that's a plus tool. And I think this kid's got the potential to have two, three, maybe even four plus tools uh, down to the bat, which I think is going to play against left-handed pitching. He's got some solid extension there. And aside from two minor, minor adjustments, just keeping that front shoulder in, I really think this guy's got good gap power. And what about the second pick that they made in the draft? Um, I believe it was a pitcher, if I'm not mistaken. Can you talk a little bit about him and what he brings to the table? So the Mets have been going through the last few years where you've seen that they have been drafting arms in the first round. Um, by going in the first round with the bats this year, they really are restocking that minor league system that a lot of people have said is kind of devoid of positional talent. Um, obviously, we know with Justin Dunn um, being drafted in the last year, the Mets are really hoping that some of these power arms um, – project a little bit quick to go through the system. Um, remind me again who the second uh, the second pick they took this year was. Uh, I'm blanking on it. I've got the few in front of me right here. Um, yeah, I'm going to get you his name. Oh, Simeon Woods Richardson. Woods yeah. Richardson, yes. Richardson. Uh, no, another guy that they like, uh, they think that he has plus pitchability. 
Um, again, could be a few years down the road, similar to Justin Dunn, um, but they really like his ability to p- pitch up in the zone. Um, as we've seen, they've started implementing that at the major league level um, with pitching up in the zone. You've seen DeGrom do it this year, and that's something organizationally they want to go all the way through down to the minor leagues. Um, so they think that um, Wood Richardson is someone who can actually um, perfect that craft pretty quick. Um, and now when you talk about the Mets minor league system, I know they've it's come, they're come under fire lately of not being this and not being that, not being able to produce you know, position players, even though we all forget Michael Conforto was an all-star position player. I, 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 guess, I guess they might say they can't create position players except for Michael Conforto. If Brandon Nimmo keeps doing what he's doing, that's a possibility as well. We don't know where Ahmed Rosario and Dominic Smith are going, but how would you rate the Met Farm system in the last two to three years if you had to give them a, a grade? A, B, C, what would it be? I would go in the B-minus range only because there are some prospects that, A, have moved past the prospect level, which includes Ahmed Rosario and Dominic Smith because obviously they're up contributing at the big league level. So I think, let's say, for example, those two guys pan out. You see Nimmo establishing himself. It makes the grade of the farm system over the last few years look a little bit better. But that being said, they've got a lot of organizational depth, guys that are – you know, I hate to say it, but the quad A type where they can fit on the back end of a roster such as a TJ Rivera, a Phil Evans, um, but they have a few guys that, for example, a Gavin Tashini, who was a first-round pick, who has progressed not exactly at the rate that they had hoped. Uh, dare I say, I'm going to throw this back for you, They uh, rumblings that he could turn out to be another uh, Reese Havens, dare I even bring that name up. <laughs> but uh, second baseman that was supposed to be the future in the past, but with Sashini, he's hitting a little bit better this year. He's in the 290s. He's got a 340 on base. Um, and he's another guy who, hey, if he comes up in the next year or so and is a serviceable big leaguer playing some second base and some third base, it's going to make the whole farm system look a little bit better. There'll be a little bit more confidence in what the Mets are turning out, if that makes sense. Ryan, it's Mike. I think one of the things when it comes to evaluating the organization, you almost have to look out five years. No one's going to know how this year's draft really is for another four or five years. If you look at Sandy Alderson's first draft, 2011, you have Nimmo, you have Gazelman, you have Lugo. I mean, those are three pretty important pieces that uh, are actually impact pieces in a lot of ways on this roster. I think they're suffering a little bit because in 2013, Dom Smith was their number one pick, and we will see what he's all about. But nobody from that draft really has, I guess, distinguished themselves. You brought up Sassinia at one point. Um, maybe they had a couple of bad drafts in between, but I guess the question is, is it the drafting or is it development? Because clearly there's a development issue. They had to shake up the whole minor league system uh, in the offseason, bring in a new AAA manager and shuffle the deck with some coaches and what have you. Yeah, and, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, this, with the way baseball has gone over the past few years and how much stock is being put into prospects these days and amateur scouting is – even more prominent than ever before. We're putting, you know, we're putting stat cast on kids coming out of high school, which, you know, if you can even imagine what that would have been like 10 years ago, you know, no one would have believed that. But you hit the nail on the head saying that we're not going to know how this draft looks for another five years, um, which is why I actually initially thought it was a little curious that the Mets were taking a um, high school bat because I actually think the Mets have a young core that's being a little bit overlooked amidst this slide. And I really did want to discuss that with you guys. Because if you go into next year and you have a core of Nimmo and Conforto, 
Well, I think personally they need to slide those guys to the corner outfields. That corner outfield spot, that is a whole different issue with itself. you got Cespedes and Bruce there right now. But I think those two guys are destined for the corner, and if you can get a right-handed hitting center fielder that can you know, not stub his toe and miss the whole season, unfortunate for Juan Lagares, it looked like he was actually you know, finding his swing a little bit. I say that tongue-in-cheek. But so you have two young left-handed hitting corner outfielders. You potentially have a starting shortstop and a left-handed hitting starting first baseman. You have a catcher in Kevin Ploiecki. You have Devin Mesoraco, who, hey, you know what? Mesoraco's looked okay since he came here. He's handled the pitching staff well. There's a chance that this guy could be a part of a winning team. I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star catcher, but everybody knows it takes all 25 guys and then some, you know, especially with the Mets. So you have those guys. You have four guys in your rotation right now that are all still arbitration eligible, under team control, and don't hit free agency for another two to four years, depending on who you're talking about, in DeGrom, Matt, Syndergaard, and Wheeler. So if you really look at it, you go into next year with those guys, you bring back Gaselman, you bring back Lugo, that is a very solid young core, guys. I think a lot of people are overlooking that. Absolutely. And, Ryan, we want to thank you for joining us. Those are great points. Next time we got to have more time to talk to you because you have – I know from your time with Bridgeport, you have a great mind for the game of baseball and one that doesn't just look at stats, look uses their eyes too. So – as a young millennial, I think you're the exception to the rule. You actually know what you're talking about. So we're going to have you on again, and thanks for joining us on New York Sports Wrap. Thanks, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Talk to you soon. That was Ryan Crofts, who I, I, I absolutely love him because when you talk to him, you can see that he not only looks at the stat page but looks at so much more and uh, isn't one of those nerds who just looks at the number pages to make their assessment of a player. When we come back at 9 o'clock, Brian Heyman and Newsday will join us when we return on New York Sports Wrap. Reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at wlie540am radio at aol.com or visit us at wlie540am.com. Cap off a weekend of watching sports by talking about it with Mark Rosenman and AJ Carter on Sports Talk New York. All the intelligent conversation, insightful interviews, and just plain fun are now right here on WLIE 540 AM from 7 to 8.30 Sunday nights. Visit their website, www.sportstalknylive.com, for previews of upcoming guests. Visit their Facebook page to win prizes. That's Sports Talk New York, Sunday nights from 7 to 8.30 on WLIE 540 AM. This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. I rescued Toast from a shelter in 2011. I knew right then that she was special. That's just one adoption story that started at a shelter. Visit theshelterpetproject.org to find a pet near you. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Download our free WLIE 540 AM app and get all the information you need right on your smartphone. Find our app at WLIE540AM.com or visit the App Store right from your phone. Our way of saying thanks for listening to WLIE 540 AM. You're listening to WLIE 540 AM, Islip, New York, a part of Universal Stations, LLC. 
The views, opinions, and statements expressed in the following program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at wlie540amradio at aol.com or visit us at wlie540am.com. We are back on New York Sports Wrap. Rich Catino along with Mike Sova. Second half hour of the program. We had uh, some acid-dripping talk in the first half hour of the program. And I want to welcome one of the real great writers that I see all the time in the press boxes in different sports. He is um, he's one of the most versatile writers in our business. He can write about hockey. He can write about the NBA. He can write about baseball. He can write about golf. He can write about anything, and he can make it. Make you feel like you're at the event every time he puts pen to paper. Brian Heyman, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Rich. That's a very nice introduction. I hope I can live up to that. <laughs> you, you always do. First, I want to talk to you about you know the Yankee game today, Old Timers Day, and that's always a fun day for the for the Yankees to kind of bring out all their old timers. But it was kind of a young Old Timers Day today, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, well, several uh, first first time uh, old timers. Uh, at, at the uh, at the stadium, you know, including Aaron Boone and Andy Pettit and Jason Giambi. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, what I found fascinating is Andy Pettit just turned 46 on uh, Friday, and he just became a grandfather for the first time uh, about six weeks ago. So uh, there was uh, his his granddaughter was there, and uh, he was talking about being a. Uh, being a uh, granddad and how amazing it is and how he could just stare at that little girl forever. Uh, but he also talked about, uh, you know, the, the potential that uh, the current uh, Yankee team has for a championship. Uh, and, he's, you know, obviously he's very, very high on what they have. And that, that was a kind of recurring theme there among uh, several of the old-timers today, uh, Jason Giambi uh, as well, talking about how they have all the makings of a championship team, all the uh, you know characteristics. Yeah, I think one of the things is that I don't even think the Yankees have really hit their stride yet. Um, you know, you look down the averages for today's starting lineup, and it's you know a lot of a lot of non-impressive averages. But you know they have such a you know a deep lineup where on any given day uh, you know someone uh, can come through, and the young guys uh, and Duhar and uh, Glaber Torres you know have been great so far. The bullpen is tremendous. Uh, if only the Mets had that kind of bullpen, but um, uh, you know, I, I. But even with all that, I mean, they still have the best winning percentage in the major leagues. So you, I think you really have to be optimistic uh, about the Yankees. They just want to stay out of the wild card game because no matter what you've done, you know, takes one uh, momentum is the next day starting pitcher. So uh, you just don't know what's going to come out of the wild card game. And they're you know, Boston's in a virtual tie with them right now. Mm-hmm. 
Brian, Mike, Sylvia, you know, usually when you cover Old Timers Day, you ask the Old Timers, hey, what do you think of the current Yankee team? And they're going to give you blah, blah, blah. And there's some nice stories. But you got a nice little quote from Johnny Damon. You wrote a piece over at Newsday. Johnny Damon waxing poetic about President Trump. I'm sure your email is going to blow up. Anything (laughs) that has to do with President Trump is going to blow up your email. But Johnny Damon supporting the president, talking about immigration. I mean, that's that's a coup for you over there. You must have been surprised he even went that route, huh? Well, you know, he... um he appeared at a uh, campaign stop uh, with uh, with Donald Trump uh, in Orlando about you know maybe nine days before the election in 2016. Uh, Johnny was on the Celebrity Apprentice. He was actually fired by Donald Trump, so to speak. <laughs> I think he came in fifth on that show in 2015, and they go back about ten years through their golfing pursuits. So uh, myself and also. Uh, 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 NorthJersey.com reporter were with Johnny before the game, and he, you know, started. Uh, he was asked about uh, how he thinks Donald Trump is doing so far, and you know, he's he's an unabashed supporter, and uh, he wishes more people were, and uh, uh, you know, he's got his distinct opinions also on you know on health care and immigration, and Johnny's big on legal immigration and not illegal immigration. So, yeah, it was kind of an additive with the ordinary subject to be talking about it at old-timers day, but, you know, sometimes uh, uh, politics uh, creeps into sports, and it's uh, definitely a part of our all our lives right now. I guess a great question to ask Johnny Damon would have been, if you were on a Yankee team that won a world championship and most of your team didn't want to go to the White House, would you force the trip to the White House? That It would have been interesting to see his reaction to that because so much has been made about team's not going to the White House, and, you know, I had a chance to do it with the 86 Mets, go to the White House when they went there, and it's 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 a great, great trip, and Brian, what is your feelings on that? Is it something we should just abandon now because there's so much controversy, or is it something that still has a place in the world? You know, I think it's still... In theory, a great honor. I know the president is a, is a lightning rod uh, at the moment, and uh, he has uh, some supporters, and he has his detractors as well. And um, you know, with, with the especially with you know the NFL and the NBA, I mean, most of these most of the players on these championship teams do not want to go. So I think when they're maybe is another president, I don't think it'll be such a lightning rod issue, uh, and I think. You know, teams uh, will want to, uh, you know, go to the White House. I, 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 I think it's it's kind of cool, but uh, I, you know, I've only been to the outside of the White House, <laughs> looking in from the gate. But um, I, you know, I think I'm not. I'm not. I know I've seen columns, uh, columnists uh, who have said, you know, it's time to abandon this. But uh, you know, I think it it can still be um, a good tradition, um, maybe in a less less controversial time. Absolutely. Um, got a, cu- a quick question for you on the Yankees. And Giancarlo Stanton had a meeting with the media after the game, and it, it seemed that from what I was reading of the quotes, they were a little terse, his responses. Do you think he's feeling it a little bit now? Even though the Yankees are playing well, his numbers probably are not where he expected them to be. And what's your sense of Stanton and, and where he sits with the New York media regarding his uh, play so far this year? Well, I, you know, I think the the media is kind of like the fans. I mean, the guy hit 59 home runs last year. He was NL MVP, uh, and he's 
you know, Marlins had a good lineup until they uh, dumped everybody after the season, but he's in a deeper lineup here in, in New York. So I think, you know, the media and the fans had, had uh, you know, great expectations for Stanton. And, you know, frankly, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't come through so far. I mean, he's, hey, you know, he has his share of home runs, but he's also, he just has not been consistent, uh, hasn't had that, that dominant stretch. Uh, you know, so it's, it's uh, you know, he hasn't had, a, hasn't had a great year so far. So I, I think people are disappointed. And today, you know, he was leaving guys on base, whatever, and uh, he was hearing it as he, as he does when he strikes out with people on base uh, in the Bronx. Uh, so, you know, maybe he is pressing a little bit when he's at home. I, I don't think it's the same problem on the road. And, and usually it's not the same problem against left-handed pitching. Um, you know, I, I, I would think he'll, he'll come around but you know you uh, in the second half of the season but you know you're just not just not sure at, at this point but you know maybe New York is a little bit in his head right now Brian it's it's interesting because he creates a couple of scenarios here first if he wasn't here you could argue that if you you don't like Gary Sanchez's defense behind the plate you move him to DH and you you put Romine behind the plate maybe you get better defensively the other thing is he's a bit of a block for Clinton Frazier. And we don't know who Clint Frazier is. All we know is that he's talented. He was one of the better prospects in baseball. The Yankees got him. And there's really no room for him. And if they trade Clint Frazier for a pitcher and Frazier goes on to be a star and Stanton, and I'm sure he'll play better than he is now, but he, I guess he leaves the fans wanting. They're just going to hate him even more. It's a tough spot he's in when you think about it from some of these you know, non-statistical standpoints, I guess I would say. Right, and the thing is, you know, get used to it. <laughs> He's going to be here. He's not tra- not really tradable with that uh, $250 million contract that's left. So uh, he's here for the long term. He's going to be blocking up that DH spot uh, for the long term. And, yes, you'd like to, you'd like to see um, at some point, you know, what Frazier can do up here is when, when he's healthy and when he, when he has, a, has a shot. I mean, he, he had his highs and his lows uh, last season when, when he was up. He had the concussion, uh, you know, spring training that really set set him back, uh, you know. But coming towards the trade deadline, I would very much expect that the Yankees are going to try to bring in a frontline starter to add to this rotation, um, and he, he could be one of the guys that uh, that could go outbound. I would prefer that they would not give up on uh, Frazier just yet. I mean, uh, Brick Gardner is uh, not the youngest guy. Uh, in the world, uh, Hicks has been, you know, he's he's so 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 far. He had a good day, a good day today. So I mean, there could be uh, an opportunity for him uh, at some at some point uh, in the in the outfield. I, I would not give up on him yet. That that's just my opinion, though. It's funny because when you think about Stanton, and I I hate to make the comparison because the guy I'm going to bring up was one of the reasons Stanton came to the Yankees, but. When I look at Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, I almost think of Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter in that Judge is the guy that's there. Judge is the Yankee farmhand that came up through the ranks. Judge Judge strikes out a lot too, but I very rarely hear him being booed, whereas Stanton is held at a different level, much like A-Rod. And do you you sense that at all, Brian? Because you were around for A-Rod and Jeter as I was, and I'm not covering the Yankees all that much right now, but from afar... It just seems like a Yankee fan sense that Giancarlo's the guy's got to prove it, and Aaron Judge is our man, and he's the home run, ho- homegrown guy. 
definitely. I think there's there's something to that. Uh, you know that that homegrown thing. I think that's appealing to people. You know, uh, you know, come. At, he's like he's like in uh, a sense. You know, he's one of our own in, in the fan in fans' view. And I think you know, with Judge, he's kind of made some adjustments this year. I think he's you know a better hitter than he was last season uh, overall. And yes, he really you know captured the imagination of everyone. Uh, uh, last last year, so um, yeah, Stanton does have something to prove. He's the new guy in town. He came in with high expectations, and you know you just hope that he can get it together. Because again, he's he's here for the long term, so they they need him to be more consistent. You know, he's a better hitter than two forty. Brian, uh, you talked about earlier the Yankees acquiring a starting pitcher, and it's not going to be easy because I think if you want to go after, and I'll just use because everyone's been using that that comparison, Jacob DeGrom, that kind of level of, of pitcher. I find it hard to believe a team is, first of all, you got to give up Clint Frazier there, and that's the very least. And if not, teams are going to ask for Torres or Andujar, and I know that that's a tough, you know, to part with one of those guys. But there's a flip side to this, and I know the Yankees are in a pennant race, and I know Hal Steinbrenner said it, so it's probably going to happen. They're going to go out and get somebody. But here there's some pundits that think Domingo Herman and Jonathan Loisica, these are arms that, Maybe, maybe not this year, but down the road, maybe really high-quality arms. They're going to be controllable. Can the Yankees, because they have enough, because they'll have enough to navigate the regular season, do they go and do they go into the playoffs and maybe give these kids a shot? Tanaka will be back. You've got Severino. Uh, the bullpen is so good that all you really need in the playoffs is four or five innings from these guys, and then you go to the bullpen, similar to what they did last year. You wonder, because if you trade these guys and you don't get somebody who's Let's say you know, you know, given you know another Sunny Gray type, you may regret it in a couple of years. Oh, I agree. I, um, you know, I would not. Uh, I, I would give the, give the young guys a chance, but I think they're concerned about the Red Sox and concerned about you know staying uh, out of that wild card game. But yeah, you you only need four uh, four starters. Uh, you know, Tanaka's hamstrings are are going to get healthy, I assume, and. Um, you know, I I think they have uh, enough uh, enough starting pitching, but I, you know, I, I think they are are concerned. And you know, as you as you said, with Steinbrenner coming out saying that's a need, and Cashman coming out and saying you know this team uh, you know has earned the right to possibly get an uh, you know an upgrade. Uh, yeah, I could see them not uh, not hanging on with the young young kids uh, forever. But you know, I think Herman has an impressive arm, and he's you know he's. I don't know if they trust him uh, fully because he's had his, you know, some ups and 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 some downs as he kind of gains experience on the job. And uh, the the other kid the other day, he looked pretty good for for five innings. But uh, again, he's he's unproven, and um, so I, I could see them, you know, for the stretch run, picking up a veteran starter. They have left themselves uh, in good position under the luxury tax that they do not want to get over this season, so they could reset. Uh, they they have room to to add uh, someone, but maybe they can add a rental and then, uh, you know, go back to these young guys go, going going forward for next season. Especially with Jordan Montgomery, you don't know when he's going to be coming back after, uh, you know, earlier this month undergoing um, Tommy John surgery. I think the interesting thing and one final one for me is that when you get into the playoffs, if they have to play the Astros. And let's say the Astros beat the Yankees again in the playoffs, and this time it's not only Jordan, uh, it's not only Verlander that the Yankees missed out on. 
but also Cole that they missed out on. And if those two pitchers beat the Yankees, I have a feeling those bouquets that Brian Cashman's been getting may turn more thorny than flowery, and that, that's something the Yankees have to worry about, Brian. Yeah, I, you know, I think they've set themselves up, you know, with their off-season additions and with getting within one game of the World Series last season. That is, World Series or bust. And uh, so, yeah, they uh, they they need they need to get to the World Series. Uh, it's, it's plain and simple. The way they have set things up, the way the expectations are, the way the team is talked about, and you know, Boston's not going to go away easily, and uh, you know, Seattle's having a Good year, despite uh, the Cano suspension, and Houston has a very good team. I would be, I think their bullpen's a little bit suspect, but uh, you know they they should be in, in the playoffs again. So, yeah, they the, the Yankees uh, have set themselves up for very high expectations this season, and if they die, if they fall short, well then uh, they'll be making more moves in the offseason. That's for sure. They sure will. Brian, I really appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, do you have one more mic for him? I appreciate you coming on with us, Brian. Happy Father's Day. And I'll see you at the ballpark when the uh, Mets return home against the Dodgers this coming weekend. Sure thing. Thanks a lot, guys, for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. That's Brian Heyman, one of the real good writers in our town and really does a great job. One of the things I always noticed about Brian when he's in the clubhouse, and a lot of us have recorders now, he still writes everything in shorthand, and he gets it right. I don't know how he does it. He gets the quote I don't know. right. I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he does it. That's but amazing. just talking about the Yankees a little bit, let's talk about this scenario, that the Red Sox and the Yankees fight for the division, and they both have 100 wins. And one or the other, let's say the Red Sox get the wild card, and the Yankees get the division. Well, someone's going to face James Paxton, maybe it's Seattle. Or, or possibly Verlander. Or Verlander. That's a tough one and game in. Yeah. if they lose that game, whether it's the Yankees or the Red Sox, knowing both of those organizations, you're going to see the pressure on the commissioner's office to really take this realignment and put it into hyperspace and get this either get more playoff teams in or get a best two out of three. And to me, if you want to avoid the wild card Yankees, listen to me good, okay? Win the division. Then you don't have to play in the wild card game. And my same message to the Red Sox, I think the Red Sox – the Yankees, I think, roster, if you're looking at their roster numbers and the Red Sox, Yankees have a better number roster. But the Red Sox have a better team because I think the Red Sox are more balanced. And the Red Sox can go with a Chris Sale in that game and then bring pitchers out of their starting rotation. That could give them a good game. They also have a lot of athleticism on the team, a lot of team speed in a close game. That can mean the difference in a wild card game. I think the Yankees, and we all saw it a couple years ago when they all said the Yankees were home run or bust. I don't necessarily think their offense is quite that right no, now. No, it's not. But no. I think in order for it not to be that, you're relying on young players who've done very well, like Andujar and Torres, who now are going to kind of hit their second wave around the league. People are going to make adjustments to them, and that's why it's important for Stanton to up his game because it'll take pressure away from – you can't tell Gleyber Torres you got to be a core bat in my lineup now. You can't say that to him. Greg Bird and Giancarlo Stanton have to pick up their game. Aaron Judge's game has been great. Didi's game overall has been great. I'm not going to complain that it was up and down. But they really – Brett Gardner's game has been great too. But they really have to take the pressure off these young kids because you can't make them core players just yet. It's interesting because in the past – and I'm always one to say you got to go for it. When you have an opportunity to win a championship, you go for it. I don't like to hoard 
prospects here. But in the situation with the Yankees, if you 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 almost have to say to yourself what Frazier is, and they know really what Frazier is. And I I make jokes on Twitter about the Yankees marketing of players because let's face it, Rich, if they indeed entertain the deal for Degrom, you know darn well the Yankees are going to try to sell the Mets on some single A outfielder with quote unquote tools. Right. Uh, they don't want to give up guys that may have a sniff of value that could play up the big league roster. So you look at this team and you say to yourself, you're probably not going to get a DeGrom-level acquisition. Not, not, not Because you're not, no. you have to give up Torres, you have to give up Andujar. You have to. I don't want to hear all this nonsense about a quantity package, Brandon Drury, all these guys. Nobody cares. Like The Yankee fans could try to sell a major leaguer hitting with 1,000 OPS at AAA. Brandon Drury should be tearing up AAA. When Travis Darno got sent down a few years ago, he tore up AAA. When Conforto got sent down, he tore up AAA. They're big leaguers. They should tear up AAA. Um, so the interesting part is, do they go out, maybe they get a bullpen arm or they, they, they increase the value out of the bullpen, and they say to themselves, you have Severino, you have Tanaka, uh, you know, Sonny Gray, I know that doesn't make you feel good in a game three. Maybe you go to Domingo Herman or, um, uh, uh, or or this other kid that pitched the other night. Mm-hmm. And I always have trouble saying his name here. It's uh, Loai Siga, Jonathan Loai Siga. Uh, do you go with those guys in a game four? I mean, look, the Yankees won a championship with three pitchers in 2009. They, they had Burnett, they had Sabathia, and they threw in um, uh, they started in Jabba at that time. Maybe Jabba Chamberlain started a game. I'm trying to remember. Jabba didn't start a game. I'm trying to remember who the third. I'm trying to remember who that third. I have to remember. I think that they really they really danced through the, the raindrops that year. I'd have to go back and look and see who they who they pitched that year. But the bottom line is this: is if you really want to get that arm and you feel that that arm is the difference, you're gonna have to feel pain. You're gonna have to give something up. It's gonna be Clint Frazier. Do you want to do that? And with Stanton with an opt out, I know the opt out is a couple of years away. If you do trade Frazier, and you don't get the arm that is an impact, if you get another Sunny Gray type arm, to me, you're just wasting away a prospect for an arm that may be minimally an upgrade than the kids. And now you're stuck with Stanton. Maybe he opts out, maybe he doesn't. And now you see this Frazier kid, if he's as good as everybody says he is, star somewhere else, you're really going to be kicking yourself Well, in you could have had Garrett Cole for him in the offseason. You know, is- there's, there's debate on that. There's debate because I guess the – I don't know what the Pirates wanted. I've heard that the Pirates didn't want Frazier, that maybe they wanted Andujar. But I tell uh, you what the rest of the American League's got to be a little wary of. If the Mets get, are out of it, how, how perfect a fit – with Jerry's Familia being the Astro bullpen. For the right price, sure. And and, that, the, and Familia and Cabrera would be the two guys that if by July 1st this thing's not looking, like the next three weeks this thing's not looking any better, you got to start thinking about shopping them. I mean, that's the thing. So it was Pettit, Sabathia, Burn. I can't believe I forgot Pettit. Jabba never had a chance to get a start. They, they made it through three with three pitchers yeah, and did. won a championship. The schedule learned, aligned out because you had, you know, so many bad pitchers they had that year. Sergio Mitri, Ming Wong got hurt that year. Chad Gordine. I mean, they had guys making starts. I mean, Phil Hughes was out of the bullpen at that point later that year. So, really interesting how uh, you go back and look at the time machine. But you know, to me, you you, you can't make a foolish move. I know there's going to be pressure to get on. This is not a win now team that has no. to win now. Now, we don't know what's going to happen. I look at the Yankees; they're a little. They've overachieved a little bit if you look at their run differential, whatever that means to you. Um, they are good. I don't think they're unbeatable. 
I don't think the offense, like you said, is as good as it used to, as everyone makes it out to be. Because, I mean, the Mets, they came to City Field. The Mets shut them down in three games. and should have swept them, really. That was a scary series for the Yankees. Because and it would have been a classic series if the Subway Series in the heyday. It would have been a classic Subway Series. It was, you look at what the Yankee offense did in those three games, and it wasn't like what they normally do. And I think it showed that if you give, if you put good pitching up against the Yankees, and that's what you're going to see right. in the playoffs, Verlander and Cole, or you're going to see, you know, uh, you're going to see, whoever, Chris Sale, you're going to see whoever, then I think that you're in a position where you're going to have to have better pitching. And Sonny Gray was never someone that I thought the Yankees would even be helped by. And to me, the Yankees gave me their best indication of what they really thought of Sonny Gray and how how little they used him in the postseason. Sure, and that shouldn't happen when when you have that. But you said it before, you're relying on two bats, Andujar and Torres, who are very inexperienced. Uh, if 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 Stanton doesn't come around, and if he's feeling pressure now, it's only going to get hotter. And look, it's the same thing I've been saying about the Braves. It's all fun and games now on Father's Day. This thing gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And when September comes, and you look up at the standings, and you got to win a series, and all of a sudden you have a two or three game losing streak, and the team behind you starts to creep up, it's a different it's different baseball. September baseball is different than August baseball, different than July baseball. Until the All Star break, it's fun and games. And it becomes less fun in games as you get into the second half. For the Mets, I think the goal is, for me, that by the All-Star break, this team has to be at 500 by the All-Star break. And that's a tall task. They're eight under under right now. It's a tall task. I mean, by that, I mean, if they're a game under, I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat it. But I think then, if they're not, then Sandy's got to use that All-Star break time to kind of start cultivating some deals. And listen... I think if you're ever going to trade a starting pitcher on the Mets, and I don't think they're going to, but if you decided you're going to, start making it difficult for the teams. Make them battle against each other. You know, what would happen if the Red Sox actually said to the Mets, well, you know what? We don't want the Yankees getting DeGrom, so maybe I'll overpay you ridiculously for them. Then you got to think about it. But that's what you got to do. you got to set up that American League, I call it the American League tripod, between the Astros the Yankees, and the Red Sox. And, of course, the Mariners are in there, too. But Familia is the guy that would really make the Astros much better in the bullpen. And a starting pitcher might help any of the other teams, including the Red Sox, especially if they think the Yankees are in the market for one. It was always that way. When the Mets got Johan Santana, the reason the Mets got him for a lot less is the Twins said, if the Yankees or Red Sox get him, I don't want to see him coming in my ballpark every year. So they gave the Mets a better deal. Omar knew that, and he jumped on it and got Santana. Um, I think, too, that you know this Yankee-Red Sox rivalry is getting he- he- more heated now. Take advantage of it if you're going to trade one of the pitchers. Personally, I wouldn't trade one of them, but if you're going to, take it to the umpteenth level and make that competition fierce. I look up and down, and I don't know the Red Sox farm system well, but the Red Sox don't have a heck of a lot either. You'd have to look at Andrew Benettini. Uh, is it in their Bogarts? You know, you'd have they. You know, it's a, listen. These teams have to realize to get a player of that caliber, you you need to give up something that is a major league caliber ready, young major league caliber ready. Not oh, maybe good four years. You need a guarantee. No team could trade. When the, and I know it's the anniversary uh, of the Tom Seaver trade. The biggest mistake the Mets made in that trade is they got quantity over quality. That trade that the Reds made with about for Seaver is what the Yankees want to make. Basically, 
That's what they want to make. Where they were all those guys that came over for Seaver were okay players. You're not saying they were, but not for Tom Seaver. Not for Tom Seaver. Not for Tom Seaver. You did not get one unless you thought Pat Zachary was going to be that guy. And, and he was a co-rookie of the year. Yeah, so. but, but but you had to have somebody that was was a was a was a franchise changing player, and they didn't get it there in that situation. And Met fans, Noah Syndergaard just tweeted this, which I think is interesting. And I quote, it's a short tweet, but it says it all. Nimmo is what we all strive to be internally. <laughs> and Nimmo's a great and guy. Nimmo is a great guy. And during the losing streak, he talked, put a lot on himself. And apparently, from what I understand in the locker room tonight, he did something that a great teammate does. They asked him about his homer, and he said, if Reyes doesn't give us a bunch single, I don't come up there. Now, he knows Reyes is struggling, and he knows Reyes needs some props. That's Brandon Nimmo in a nutshell, right. Mike. And, you know, I know that the end might be here for Jose Reyes, and he's been a hot topic of conversation, but the Mets' problems are so far bigger than Jose Reyes. Like, there's been times where I question, you know, do, is it time to cut bait? You know, you need a, a deeper bench, especially when you had Flores out and guys like that. But the Mets' issues offensively, if you're getting one at-bat a week or two at-bats a week, that player does not dictate. You know, maybe they come up at a big spot, but mm. – that player's not dictating, by and large, while you're struggling offensively. And once they get Noah Syndergaard back, and hopefully that's within the next week or two. Hopefully I wonder if something bigger's going on. You know, if you remember, Brett Saberhagen had this very injury back in the '92 uh, season with his index finger, with the sheath, mm-hmm. and he was out for a little bit. So it takes some time. Sometimes. Well, what I was about to say is, if when he comes back, really the only missing piece would be Cespedes, and I think if whatever you do, whether you put Vargas as the fifth starter or put Lugo in the bullpen. Or vice versa. Well, does Vargas become the situational lefty that, for some reason, Blevins can't be? I don't know. Uh, it's a possibility. I don't know if he's that kind of pitcher. You know, Vargas's numbers were league average, and I was okay with the signing. But the more that I see of his stuff, ooh, it's god darn awful. It is. It's well, really bad. Like, I look at that. In an era of, uh, of speed, I'm like, ugh. If he's not perfect... He gets clobbered. Really, and he did okay on Friday. Yeah, he, he did. did. Okay. He did okay on Friday. But he's a twice around the lineup, and that's it, guy. That's yep, the end. And yeah. that's where you think that maybe that kind of stuff could bear well in the bullpen. And then you have a rotation when Syndergaard's here of DeGrom, Syndergaard, Mats, Wheeler, you know, and uh, and Seth Lugo. As, as a quintet, that's the best group of five in baseball. Uh, and you know, I'm not surprised that the Mets had a 25-game stretch where they had the best ERA from their starters in baseball. They couldn't win games. I don't know if that's going to continue now, but I do know this, that if the Mets can get a 2 ERA from DeGrom, a 2.5 from Syndergaard and Lugo, and a 3 from Mats, and even a, even a 3.5 from Wheeler, that's pretty darn good. And that's why I'm not ready to close the book on this season just yet. Yeah, I know we have to go to the break and then get to the Knicks and Tommy D, but um, if this wild card race does tighten up, it's and I hate doing this because I criticize fans who always channel Mets history for everything, it's going to have that 1973 type of feel with the second wild card. You know, yeah. all these teams, because right now the Nationals haven't been much better than the Mets. They've won. The Mets only, that 1-8 homestand, I, I'm going to say this, I said this I think last week when you weren't here. Uh, I said this homestand at the end of the year they're going to look back and say if only we won three or four of those games yeah. I think it might come down to that yeah. we hope not we're going to take a break and when we come back Tommy D will talk about the Knicks and then in the last uh, 15 minutes of the show we'll wrap things up on New York Sports Wrap right after this 
take WLIE 540 AM with you anywhere in the world with our free iPhone and Android apps. Listen to your favorite shows, find out news that's important to you, or just check the local weather, all from our free app. Find us in the App Store on your iPhone or Android or at WLIE540AM.com. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go, fish dad. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to a pop concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. Or B, just roll with it. Justin! OMG! I love you, Justin! I love you! You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on adoption, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Know someone who's being bullied online? Send the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more about the witness emoji at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Welcome back to New York Sports Wrap. Rich Catino along with Mike Silva. And we're going to switch topics a little bit now. Um, now, before, I covered the Mets most of my career, but there was a, a six, seven-year period where I covered the Knicks in the Ewing years. And um, being a Georgetown Hoya fan, I always loved telling people in the media that they never appreciated this guy for what he was. And now that he's been gone for a while and the Knicks have had a lot of downtime, Maybe that appreciation is starting to fester itself back into the minds of some people. Saying that, I will say this is a guy I have on the phone in Tommy D that always appreciated Patrick Ewing, always understood him, always understood what he was about, and the fact that his 100% intense level made him a leader. Not so much what he said, but what he did. Tommy D, welcome to the show. Rich, Mike, uh, great to speak to you both, and, and I, I, I do uh... – certainly agree with that since the Knicks have hired David Fisdale I've started to reread uh, for probably uh, probably the eighth or ninth time in my life the winner within which is Pat Riley's book and uh, it, it just it makes me not only appreciate those days more appreciate Ewing more uh, and, and what true leadership is and it really is what the Knicks have been lacking over uh, the last couple of decade decades and um, you know hopefully the connection with Riley is something that uh, you know, Fisdale can bring to the table. You know, it's funny because when I covered Ewing in those days, you know, you know Patrick after the games, he would be like 
okay, I'll talk to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. You can all talk to me, but it also doesn't matter who you are. When I'm finished talking, I'm finished talking. And one time I got him in the hallway, and it was after a big game that he had, and we had a 20-minute conversation about basketball. And I left saying to myself, first of all, he said to me, Rich, you should be an assistant coach in the NBA, which I found to be quite an honor for him to even say that to me. But secondly, I left Tommy thinking, this guy is going to be a coach someday. He's at Georgetown now, but I'm hoping at some point he can be an NBA coach because he's a lot smarter in this game than people give him credit for. To me, I think, and I, it was it was always something when everybody would say, hey, why doesn't he get an interview here uh, with the Knicks? I, I think there is a huge need, uh, and I could say this with some, with some pretty good information on sort of the high school level and the AAU level, having been around it for, for quite a while, and um, as I've you know, been doing the stuff with SMY and, and um, the other things I've been working on. There is such a need for someone who has the ability to, de- to develop a couple of bigs uh, for, over the course of two to three or four years. Imagine if, if Patrick Ewing could, could teach Mo Bamba at Georgetown for four years. Imagine if he could teach, you know, and, and Jaron Jackson, uh, Bagley, Wendell Carter, you know, I think they're in good spots with certainly uh, Mike Shevsky, without question, Tom Izzo. But and I'm not, this is not a knock on Shaka Smart. But imagine if they, there wasn't the one-and-done big and you could put them under Ewing's tutelage for a, a, maybe two years or three years, how much better um, you know, the, the game would be. It wouldn't just be about space and pace. It wouldn't just be about you know, sort of this you know, spread everything out and make sure that you know, guys seven foot you know, can shoot jumpers, which Ewing certainly could have if that's the way that you know, John Thompson taught him. Um, but right. th- th- I think there is such an important need for Patrick at Georgetown, not only for the Big East, but also for developing young players uh, who, even if they're not the Mo Bambas, maybe if they're, they're second-round picks or, or free agents, just to have those skills to be able to fill the back end of NBA lineups, that's a big thing that the, that the NBA is missing right now. And I think Patrick certainly is the, the guy to do it at a, at a very high-profile, prestigious program. That's no, been down and, and needs to be on the on the rise for sure. No question. And Mike Silva's got one question for you, but I'll just say this: He can even help Porzingis. He can say, "You know, oh, no stops. This is what killed me about Garden Rick Smiths. This is what killed me about Garden Dirt Nowitzki. You could be this way. You can get under my skin. You can get under anyone's skin." With that, I know Mike has a question for you. Well, well, Tommy, it's the, that time of the year where the NBA takes on a TMZ level of rumors. We already saw that with Kawhi Leonard. Now. I read Peter Vesey, who's on Patreon just like you, and, and Vesey thinks that, you know, for anyone to think they know what Kawhi's thinking, that he wants to go to the Lakers, and he references that he has a pretty tight inner circle, he's pretty tight-lipped, and, you know, he's even building a home in San Antonio. I don't know how he knows that. But um, there's a lot of feel that this is just uh, the latest NBA TMZ smokescreen. I know the Knicks are kind of being dragged into it, as they always are, and uh, I want to get your thoughts on it. Doesn't it feel and Michael, you think your voice? Uh, doesn't it feel? Doesn't it feel like Mellow 2.0? Well, I right? saw you write that, and yeah. and it is tempting. So you make a great point. You know, the Knicks almost have to be right because they built that team on the fly in '99 and they won. And then Isaiah came in and he tried to do the same thing and it failed. And then they got rid of Isaiah and Donnie Walsh methodically built it up and then put his eggs in the Carmelo basket. And once that happened. 
you know, you had to ride that out, and now you are where you are. So, yeah, it's been 20 years, but rebuilds, if you're not right, they set you back five years. You know, you could make a move now, Tommy. That could set the Knicks again back five years. That's how, you know, 1940, those chants become reality, you know? <laughs> and and who sets the trend, right? Like, I, I don't think the NBA was ready for the New York Knicks to, to set the Houston Rockets, you know, space and pace trend. And neither were the Lakers. And then that's, that's where you follow the D'Antoni track, right? I mean, what they, what they did, uh, obviously, in New York, before that, obviously, in Phoenix, but in New York, it's, okay, cool. Chris Duan, I think, had 30 assists one night. Yep. <laughs> or, right. Like, they, they had some ass. I remember they beat the Spurs 128-101, pop benched Duncan, and, and this, one, this is when the Spurs were in their prime, Duncan, and Ginobili and Parker uh, for the last six minutes of the game because the Knicks literally embarrassed them. Pop took that offense that he learned from D'Antoni and redeveloped and, and, and re-basically branded the Spurs to win another championship and compete with Miami. But the, the Knicks were not ready to be that team, to be that trendy offensive and you guys know this because when Knicks were putting up 115, 120 points and losing, uh, people were talking about how D'Antoni didn't care about defense. And, of course, certainly that's been the case. And what Steve Kerr's been able to do in Golden State is sort of combine that just like Pop has as well. The, the point is when it, New York needs to become trendy again in some way, and I think it's Porzingis. I think if you have a player at that size and skill – and build around him and strengthen him and, and just say this is our franchise moving forward, this is the type of skill player that the league has, has not seen to this point. Well, Tommy, and, I, don't know, I, I don't know if you saw it. Here's the latest controversy that you'll, you'll get, and it's Father's Day. I, I saw this leak out. I guess Porzingis was in a, uh, uh, on a yacht out in Spain uh, jumping off a yacht into the water. So, And I saw some quotes, well, that knee looks pretty good. So how long before uh, we have reports that he's not taking the rehab seriously? Um, that's a good one. I, I, w- I would say tomorrow, right? nice. and, or, or if things been printed, or you know, I'm sure they've gone to print by now, um, or publish, you know, online now. So uh, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be the next, um, the, the next thing. And as we head into the draft, well, and, and I'll, I'll ask you guys if you have the opportunity uh, to to trade Porzingis in a deal for for Kawhi, do you do it? Or do you try to make a deal? And I don't, I don't think they'd be asked to do it without him. Um, but I, I've always gotten the sense here in the last couple months that they wouldn't, they being Steve Mills, Scott Perry, um, they might, may not be 100% sold uh, on, on Porzingis. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they did explore heavily a trade, which obviously Phil Jackson uh, was vilified for last year. And, uh, Mike, I know you saw this note from Mark Berman, and I know kind of piling a lot of things on at once here, but the report of Porzingis turning down a, a an opportunity to sit down with Bill Bradley and Phil Jackson, yep. Uh, yep. That, that to me was that, that to me was very interesting. I do. I mean, I, I clearly think, look, if anybody doesn't think a 20-year-old has an ego after being bestowed yeah. so much so soon, I mean, they're foolish to believe that. And, I mean, Tommy, you've talked about this. You know, there was concerns by Phil about – Porzingis's makeup and maybe Melo had something to do with that. Um, you know, Melo's gone now, and a lot of what you said, Melo's proved to be doing over in Oklahoma City. 
But, you know, at the end of the day, here's what I would say. No Porzingis did get hurt. My concern is if you're a great player, they still should have been a lot better than they were before you got hurt. I know there was injuries to Hardaway Jr. I know that the roster around them uh, was compromised. But, you know, I said to you, I've said to you many times, you know, when Shaq came to Orlando right away, they were a 500 team. That wasn't a great team his first year. That wasn't a great team before Penny Hardaway. There's no reason to be a losing team if you're a great franchise player. I know I'm being maybe myopic and simple-minded about it, but historically, great players, they elevate the franchise at least to mediocrity. before here's, they... the base, here's the baseball analogy. Porzingis, the NBA is, a, and, and I think we all know this, the NBA is a, is a legs business, just like Major League Baseball, the MLB is, is an arms business. If, if, if the Knicks did not do a great job early on in, let's call it, minutes restrictions or pitch count for Porzingis, right? And I think that was a concern amongst, I don't know, that, I don't think this, I know this, they were worried about sort of the wear and tear that was going down on his legs. And any time that you have a coach who was sort of in a lame duck situation, which Hornacek was, you're going to put more wear and tear. You heard Porzingis talk about being tired, a, a, a new uh, voice in midday uh, um, talk, called him soft, which I thought was crazy. But he, he is obviously 22, and it just was, it was clear that there was going to be some sort of leg issue. Um, and unfortunately, it was the ACL. It could have been an ankle. It could have been a foot. It could have been a hamstring. It could have been anything just because of the wear and tear. Uh, you know, and and you've got to be careful with that. That's why, for me, it's like, just let have let let have him take the entire year off next year, or at least three quarters of it, and you know build up the leg strength, build up everything to make sure that when he comes back, he's a hundred percent ready to be the franchise player that I think everybody thinks he can be. But you're right. I mean, there's if he if if he were if he if he could show more of those signs, um, you know, then there wouldn't be questions. But I understand why there are questions. My estimation, I build around Porzingis. I agree with you. Give him as much time as he needs to get back. You try to build some complimentary players this year. But to me, you got to be patient because I think if the Knicks are patient and they wait till next year, their salary cap situation will be different. And there's a guy that plays guard for the Celtics right now that I think would be the perfect fit for the Knicks a year from now to pair him with Porzingis. And that would be my plan going forward. Your thoughts, Tommy? Kyrie, and yeah, for sure. But I, I, it's almost a year after that, right? Because he's got, he has the option after this year. He can opt in, and then he can be the be the, be the unrestricted free agent after next year, right? Nineteen nineteen uh, twenty. Right. Nineteen twenty. So if you, if you can bring in a solid draft pick, rotation player. That's why I'm big on Mikael Bridges. Because if you can if you can keep all the assets, and let's just say you have an opportunity to bring in a player who you know is going to be a rotation player for the next ten years, who can be on the wing, then that's a good. And he's not going to be the guy that is going to. He's not going to be Donovan Mitchell. Not that that's a bad thing in this case, because he's not going to lead you to the playoffs right off the bat. So you have another lottery pick without Porzingis all of next year. So you go into next year's draft with getting a lottery pick and cap space the year after. And then on that timeline to me, I think Knicks fans, I think that would be very palatable for Knicks fans. After 
going through the big mega trade world. Now, here's, here's the rub on that that I have heard around the league. Danny Ainge, I don't, I don't know if Kyrie's going to be back next year. I know it's early. Right. Danny Ainge is infuriated at Kyrie for not being there for Game 7. And that's the type of stuff when, if, if you have someone, I think we all understand Danny's mindset and being old school, if he doesn't want to look at a guy again for not being, like, they have some, they have work to do to sort of, you know, from what I understand, get back in each other's good graces. And that's one-sided. Like, Kyrie's got to go back and say, you know, yeah, I had a deviated septum or whatever the situation that he had. But to cut out on his team, that uh, that's going to be a tricky one. Because, again, it's, it becomes the, the other, you know, the, the, the same thing over again. Where he gets traded to, if that's not going to be the destination, then he's going to be, he's going to go right to unrestricted free agency, and you know there's going to be that whole thing. Whoever owns the bird rights, that's that's the key, and uh, ironically, that's um, you know, Larry Bird rights in Boston. Right. So you know, I think I can see Ainge using that as leverage against the Knicks to try to get them to give up some draft picks and give up some assets instead of just having them sign out, right? That's the thing that's going to really, um, for me, be much more of a realistic opportunity, more so than Kawhi Leonard. You know, I'm not close enough to know, you know, and look, when someone says they're hurt, they're hurt until they prove they're not. But I could understand Ainge's frustration. It's almost like he was like, you know, we're not, even if we win Game 7, we're not going to beat the Warriors because the Celtics shouldn't even been there, let's face it. Culture is so important. I know that's going to be Fisdale's I almost deflection with the media against losing, but how they go about their business, how hard they play, how efficient they are, the show they put on next year is so important because if they're bad, but they're showing improvement in terms of the culture and the program, I think everybody will lay off them a little bit. If you have a guy who's sitting out game seven for the Boston Celtics, again, I don't know enough about it. Is that the guy you want to bring in here? Because you've had enough of that prima donna act for a long time. You want gamers here. You want grinders. And, and that's what a Riley program is going to demand out of people. I think Kyrie, I, I'm, this is the truth. I think, as I'm, I'm hoping you guys would think everything that comes out of my mouth is, Kyrie to me has gotten the worst rap out of anybody in the NBA over the course of the last couple of years because of LeBron. Right. And no one likes to attack LeBron. No one, no one dares to question LeBron for whatever reason. Um, I think we uh, we can understand maybe some reasons, but Kyrie, from what I understand, did not want to go through an entire year of sort of, hey, LeBron, what are you doing? Hey, what's going on? Hey, what are you doing? Which is what ultimately happened, and it became the LeBron show towards the end that I'm sure he was happy to not be a part of in Cleveland. Obviously, he got hurt. He would much rather have been playing with the Celtics and beating you know, LeBron in the, in the Eastern Conference Finals. But to be away from that, like the way that Kyrie, who has, let's be fair, hit the biggest shot of the, of, of the finals when uh, they were down 3-1 and everybody's, you know, praising LeBron from, you know, having the team come, come back 3-1 and that was the, the championship that he brought back to Cleveland. That possession right there, there LeBron had nothing, he did nothing. Kyrie had to make a really difficult shot, out of no- create something out of nothing. And he's had the propensity of doing that for all, just 
so many times in, throughout the course of uh, the couple of finals that he played, uh, the, the two finals that he played, scoring 40 points. The, the, the great argument that I like, which I heard on, on ESPN radio the other day with Moke, and, Moke Hamilton and, and Anita Marks, was is, is Kyrie as good as Scottie Pippen? And that everybody talks about Jordan, LeBron, and I don't want to go off on another tangent, but Kyrie, Kyrie puts up forty in in maybe two or three finals games, and had some serious, serious superstar moments. Why he gets dismissed is beyond me. He's a great player. I don't think there's a diva quality there. I don't I, either. I think I, I think he's. I think he's a grinder. I think he. I think he makes big plays, and I think he's a finisher. And and at the guard position, if you can kick the ball out or in to to a guy like Porzingis and make shots on the other end, and make his life easier, you're going to be better for it. And I'll leave you with this: If the Knicks get Kyrie Irving, I'm going to make a prediction right now. If Kyrie Irving comes to the Knicks and wears the blue and orange of the Knicks, the New York Knicks will end their championship drought. That is what I think of Kyrie Irving and how good he is. I think there's only one guard I'd rather have in the whole league, and that would be Russell Westbrook, other than him, to play that type of role with the Knicks. Tommy, it was great to have you on the show tonight. And we got to do this again after the draft when, uh, who knows, is it Lonnie Walker, is it Kevin Knox, who is it? But we will definitely have you on post-draft to talk about it. Always a pleasure, guys. Enjoy the rest of the night. Uh, let me know anytime. Thanks, Tommy. That was Tommy D talking about the Knicks. And, you know, I think that sometimes we tend to give players bad raps, and Kyrie Irving can play for me any day of the week, Mike, and seven times on Sunday. It's just, but the 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 thing I would say, and this is the homework that Scott Perry and 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 the Knicks front office have to go through is is culture. Fizdale's coming in to instill and. You know, I know it's a narrative of Pat Riley Miami culture. Mm-hmm. That's what the most successful time in the Knicks since the seventies is when Riley came in, established the bar with Dave Checkets, established that culture. Van Gundy continued it, and when both of them, when Van Gundy left, that culture went out the window and is yet to return. And all the other iterations, D'Antoni and Isaiah and Phil Jackson had, had failed at bringing some kind of culture here. And the only one in my lifetime that I've seen that's been effective is the Riley way. So I'm okay with the Riley way. That's the way I've been dying to go back to. Maybe not the style of play from the 90s because you can't play that way, but the discipline, the accountability, the old buy-in, the professionalism, the work. You know, Everybody coming in and buying into, uh, you know, we're here to win and be serious. And, and that's hopefully what Fisdale can do from day one, regardless of record next year. That's what I'll be looking for, how they play, how they go about their way, how they go about playing the game. And I think a Tim Hardaway Jr. will really benefit from that relationship. Well, the time that we uh, have here has almost expired. Uh, We had some great guests here tonight. Tommy D talking about the Knicks. Brian Heyman talking about the Mets and Yankees. Ryan Crofts talking about baseball. We've got a big week for both the Mets and the Yankees. Yankees will be going to Washington to play the Nationals, and then they have a series with the Seattle Mariners. It'll be very interesting to see how that goes. The Mets have four in Colorado, then they come back um, to City Field to play the Dodgers in a three-game weekend set. So a week from tonight, we'll be here. We'll talk about the Mets. We'll see how much closer they can get to the 500 mark. We'll see how the Yankees deal with the Mariners. Of course, minus Robinson Cano, but plus a lot of good pitching and a lot of good hitting that that Mariner team has. And if you think the Red Sox aren't as good as the Yankees, 
Take a look at what the Red Sox did in Seattle this weekend. Take a look at how well they played, how many runs they put up on the board against a good pitching staff. Till next week, Mike Silver and Rich Catino saying so long, everybody, and we will be back next week to see where the Mets and Yankees go seven days from tonight. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.